welcome into yet another episode of the Online Church Blueprint. I'm Andy, one of your hosts, and I'll be joined by Mark in just a few short minutes. But you'll notice that I've got sort of this eggplant fuchsia. What would you call this color, Austin? Lilac? What'd you say? Purple? Purple's so boring, though. I don't know. Leave in the comments what, what color you think this is. You can you can do a color match on your computer and you can see what the actual hex code is. Uh, I am actually not in my home studio today. We had a number of things going on. And so welcome to Studio B here at Bay Hope Church in Tampa, lovely Tampa, Florida, uh, where it's been raining off and on for the last three days. And it feels like hurricanes have been coming through, although they haven't. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we had, like I said, we had a number of things going on. Mark's going to be joining me shortly. He uh, has a fun story about where he's actually recording from today, and I'll let him get to that. But uh, today we wanted to kind of get to the basics and the root of digital community. It's kind of something that's been rattling around in the back of both of our brains, and it's something we've been trying to do at our respective churches. So myself with him at Lux and then here at Bay Hope Church along with Austin, who you just heard there hopefully on the on the microphone, and then really at the Church Digital and with the DCN uh, Digital Church Network and even with Alter Live, we've been trying to create community because really community fosters growth, community fosters love, community fosters uh, engagement, and in the church space, community really fosters discipleship. And so that's that's really what we're key on. We're, we're, we're trying to be kingdom-minded about this. So this episode is going to be all about that, kind of the building blocks of digital community, giving you some kind of best practices, some tools. Uh, there's a number of interesting things that Mark has to say uh, about exclusivity and inclusivity and how all of that works in digital community and how to feel safe and how to moderate and do all of those other, all of those other things. And uh, it's really kind of a cool conversation. I uh, We got done with his portion and then he had to go run pick his daughter up. And as I was hitting stop, I just said, Mark, that was honestly this that that one little stretch there. I, it was all great, but there was one little stretch there where uh, he and I had a really cool conversation that was kind of off of our off of our talking points that we had uh, in pre-production. And it was very cool. And some of the things that were coming out of his brain were fascinating. And I can't wait for you to hear them in this episode of the Online Church Blueprint. Again, we are brought to you uh, by our good friends and kind of really our sponsors over at DCN Digital Church Network, the Church Digital and the church.digital, excuse me, along with Jeff Reed and everybody over there. Check that out there. We've got cohorts and courses and uh, engagement training and tools and resources. And oh, by the way, consultation, if you want myself or Mark to uh, jump in and really kind of help you along your journey, wherever you at, either innovating and starting your digital church or, or hybrid or digital church, all the way into, hey, we just need to make sure that we can get our live streams up and running. We're here to help you head on over there. Uh, MyChurch.digital, TheChurch.digital, Digital Church Network, and of course, our good friends over at Alter Live. Alter Live is the number one source for engagement, the number one platform out there for churches that are looking for a one-stop shop for all things, live streaming for all things, uh, meeting for all things, lobby for all things, uh, fun and engagement, and all of those things kind of put together. Uh, you can get rid of all your Zoom subscriptions. You can get rid of Facebook Live. You can get rid of all those other things with one Alter Live subscription. There's a link below in the comments, uh, or if you are listening to this via podcast, there is a link in the show notes that will get you a free 14-day trial to Alter Live. It's the best. All right, got all that out of the way. Let's get ready for this episode and this kind of conversation about creating community here on the Online Church Blueprint. Welcome back. 
back to a very purple Easter egg edition of the Online Church Blueprint. And uh, you can see Mark Lutz, uh, also co-host of the Online Church Blueprint. We are in different studios than we normally are. Where are you located? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, I guess you know this. If you're listening on podcasts, this is probably very confusing to you. But um, but you can probably hear a difference in, in the quality of my microphone because yes. I have... I'm running this through a Surface Pro with a very, uh, instead of running through a Behringer X32, I'm running through a Wave XLR interface. <laughs> instead of sitting on a uh, a really good mic, I am sitting on its younger USB cousin. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I am locked out of my studio uh, as of this morning and won't be getting in until my wife gets home from work. So we uh, rigged up a old DSLR uh, that my my wife had into a laptop uh, with a uh, $200 interface and a $200 mic. So here we are with worse equipment in a studio in my basement instead of above hey, my garage. So it, it's all it's all about the the knowledge that you share with us. I've been calling Mark the the esteemed Mark Lutz over the last couple of days, and I get a kick. Yeah, out and of he that. consistently sure. says that isn't. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. So just for the record, he humbly does not accept uh, I, the esteemed status. So I was going to say, I think a little part of his soul every time I say it dies, which I think is hysterical to me. I, on the other hand, of uh, normally my home studio is. It's a decent setup. I've got you know all the cameras and the microphones and all the lights, and I keep reorganizing it. And I think I've got it to where I actually like it now. We pre- I preached there from Lux last night, and I went back or at Lux, and I went back and looked at the shot, and I was like, mm, that looks tasty. I'm, I'm yeah, it does. I'm it looks very good. good. I'm pretty good with how that feels, but I am actually in like a hundred thousand dollar studio here uh, at Bay Hope Church. We uh, were we had a number of things happening today, and we sandwiched this recording in between, like three other things that are happening uh, here in the studio today. So uh, thanks so much for joining us. And before we get going, Mark, uh, you know, question of the day, small talk. I want to get all this junk out of the way. Easter. <laughs> what's do, what's like kind of the what's what's your guys modus operandi in Easter with the girls, with your wife? Do you guys do presents? Do you do the bunny? Do you do chocolate and eggs? Like what what do you guys do? Yeah, we do chocolate eggs and and rabbits. My, my wife and I were actually having this conversation last night about like what is the best candy oriented holiday and when she said easter is better than christmas and to my response to that was christmas is not a candy holiday halloween right. and easter are candy holidays uh and and we we both think that easter is the best candy holiday because there's so many unique candies to it. But yes, the girls come downstairs, uh, you know, uh, ca- uh, candy trail, uh, jelly bean trail to the Easter baskets, uh, the Easter baskets, which I didn't realize, like my wife's family growing up, there was a lot more gifts involved in the Easter basket than yeah. I think what I grew up. I don't know if I remember correctly, but I just remember a lot of fake grass, chocolate bunnies, um, Reese's cups and jelly beans. And like hmm. my daughter got a Miles Morales uh, pajama set. And so it's like a, no. a Miles Morales onesie um because they watch the spider-man cartoon uh like the new spidey and his friends or whatever and so my oldest daughter has a ghost spider onesie and now my youngest daughter has a spin a spin onesie and she's freaking adorable in it but they got like they got like dresses and candy and bubbles and chalk and markers and like 
I mean, nothing expensive, but it was all stuff that was like, yeah, I didn't get this stuff when I was a kid. Mm. But no, we did that. And then I am one. Uh, I'm a one percenter, Andy. I'm a one percenter. And by that, oh. I mean, my parents are together. My wife's parents are together. And our parents like one another and do holidays what? together. And uh, yeah, this literally doesn't happen in almost anybody else's life. No. A true, genuine one percenter. And so uh, we go to my parents' house on uh, on Easter, and my in-laws and my brother and his – my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law and his fiance uh, and all of the kids all in the same house, all eat a meal together, all ride quads together. We shoot guns. We enjoy each other's company. Now, my five-year-old and three-year-old don't shoot guns, but me and my father-in-law <laughs> and my, my brother and brother-in-law and my dad do. And uh, and it's just great. And here in Western PA, it was like 75 degrees and sunny all Easter day. So, I mean, it, it, it could not have been better. It was gorgeous, and the cheesy potatoes and peanut butter pie were delicious. Mm, yeah. How about I, you, Andy? What, all... what about your – what about you guys, your family? I mean, what do you guys do for our, Easter? Our kids are grown, so we used to do – uh, just chocolate and stuff, uh, chocolate and, and baskets. We never did the, the the jelly bean trail. That was never kind of our thing. It was just always, here's your Easter basket. We got to go to church because, you know, I'm pastor. And so I was like, we got to do this quick. Um, we would do Easter egg hunts, but it would be at other people's houses and they'd find, you know, money or candy or anything or, you know, in the, inside the little eggs. When I was growing up, though, my parents would do like the powdered like they would take baby powder and make like rabbit trails all over the house which i thought was real cute and then we'd have easter egg hunts like we would actually do the eggs back before eggs were used as currency and were thousands of dollars to buy a dozen of them we would dye them eggs oh did you do dyed or did you do the plastic ones no, we dyed them. We dyed them uh, like two days before Easter with my parents. So we did. We did. I mean, we had to uh, remortgage our house, but we did do it. Hey, congrats, man! You know the the college tuition that it costs to dye those eggs. Uh, good, good on you, man! And that smell brings back everything. We used to do presents, though. We would do the whole Easter egg hunt thing, and then my parents would always say, "Okay, your present is around here. The Easter bunny hit it. Go find it." We'd have to find it. Sometimes it'd be in the oven or downstairs in the basement or whatever. Sure. I remember one year I got a bike, uh, and then the other year I got like wow. a a Ghostbusters. Um, this is back when Ghostbusters two came out. Oh no, when the cartoon was coming out, I got a proton pack with a gun. With I had like a Nerf thing and then a trap, and it was my brother and I were just Ghostbusters for that entire that entire summer. It was pretty awesome. So uh, yeah, we I, the only reason I ask a because it looks like um, a princess's bedroom behind us and uh, looks like Easter egg walls behind me. And B, we're just coming off the Easter holiday, and one of the coolest things that always happens in church world, digital or physical church world, is that lots of people show back up to church. It's it's kind of the third most attended holiday behind Christmas and Mother's Day in churches, you know, sure. in hybrid churches or in physical churches. Digital is all over the place, um, but we now have this opportunity to what do we do with these people you know we have this opportunity to connect them in the community but how how do we do that in a physical context in a hybrid context and most importantly in a digital online context and so mark and i kind of wanted to have a conversation and bring about uh, a few tips as to you know how we could create digital community how we could foster digital community and most importantly how we could grow digital community so mark i guess let's let's start from the very beginning you being digital pastor uh, i'm not going to say esteemed because i don't want to watch your soul die on camera but um <laughs> you said it you anyway know, what, so that's perfect uh, yeah you're, you're welcome. Um, what is digital community? Like, let, let's let's define what it actually is going forward. So in your eyes, what does digital community look like? You know, I think that 
the I, I could literally remove the word digital out from in front of it and i think we would you know be looking at the same definition in many ways um because community community is community right this is people doing life living life together supporting one another participating in one another's life sharpening one another you know sometimes discouraging one another disappointing one another forgiving one another um you know all of those things that we you know all the stuff that we see it in you know, any sort of physical church or, you know, your local Elks club, or I don't know, I think the Elks club's racist now or something, but, um, you know, whatever it is, right. Like there's, you know, people look and search for community, they look for it at the bar, they look for it at, you know, the VFW or, you know, the, and, and then, the, then at their church, right. If you're in a town like mine, there's really only two places to find community. It's church and the bar. And, um, you know, it used to be this coffee shop that we had in town, but now the owner sucks. So the less community happens there than it used to. And, um, but you know, the, it's this finding of communal spaces where people come together and gather. And then I would say it extends to, you know, like hospitality and opening up your home and inviting people in and that sort of stuff. And so then the question becomes like, what does that look like in digital space and how does that work? And it's, you know, you put digital in front of community really because you're just signifying the fact that instead of using the tools that you would typically use to, uh, uh, to I don't know, creating community is a really funny term because it's like it's as though you can be intentional about it. It's as though I think that you can intentionally create situations where community can happen, but you can't fabricate it and you can't actually create it. Right. All that you can do is create environments in which community has the ability to happen. Um and so in the same, you know, instead of using uh, and creating those spaces using physical tools, you know, you open up your church building, uh, you have your small group leaders open up their homes to people, um, you know, you have a, a church potluck, you do, uh, you know, uh, drop a thousand eggs from a helicopter or whatever um, for a church event and you know, invite people into community there, right? We're just using digital tools to create spaces where, where community can happen. And so people do naturally create community or they just choose not to. You can't force people into a community. Um, people actually have to participate in order to find community, but you're just really creating spaces for community to happen, for life on life to happen and for people to connect with one another. And, um, you know, the concept of digital community is just saying, hey, we're using digital tools to create those spaces where community has the opportunity to actually happen at. And uh, and so for me, really, what is digital community? Um, community is community. But the word digital out in front of it just means that we're we're creating spaces where community can happen using digital tools instead of using, you know, physical tools. What uh, and, and so obviously you 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 said the right thing or said the the great thing there where you you remove that prefix digital and community com becomes community and you can find it you know at your racist elk lodge elk's lodge you can find it at the bar you can find it at the hockey rink you can find it all over the place and and that's great but in a church context I think community almost has that word like fellowship you know kind of has that word that's been built up over time to mean it's something. kind of buzzy yeah 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 yeah. and like you know well hey we're gonna be intentional about our community and like we're having those conversations right now at Bay Hope I know we're always having those conversations at Lux where you need you need intentionality around it and you need to make sure that you have this group of people this mass of people that showed up for easter let's say okay how do we be intentional about actually putting them uh, giving them spaces to to self-select into or do you force them into community and so i'm gonna i guess the, the question i want to ask now is what are the building blocks what are the starting blocks that you can either let people self-select or force people into in a digital capacity yeah, I mean, can you can you force people you, into you community? Can, but, 
you, you can, and I've seen, and the reason I'm saying that is that I've seen churches do it, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it works great, and the way you force them into is, hey, if you want to be a member of this church, you have to come to these three classes, and you have to join this small group. Sure, and, I mean, you can put a carrot at the end of the stick, right? Correct, yeah, and and then, you know, the carrot is then at that point you can go and serve and do the whole thing, and, you know, that's it's a very short-term thing that you're forcing people into, it has varied results. Uh, we don't do that here at Bay Hope. At, we did that at a church that I used to work for, and that church ended up not not thriving in the way that I think they could have until they eliminated that, hey, you need to go through 101, 201, 301, 401, and then join a small group for eight weeks before you can do anything else at this church. Uh, their, mm. their reasons and their intentions behind it were listen, we, we need to make sure that people understand our theology and they understand what, you know, our, our, our orthopraxy and they understand exactly what we're doing. They understand how we do group, you know, they need to feel the lifeblood of the church and that, that's fine. But in the context that we're in, in Southern New Jersey at that point, like people are busy, people got kids, like they're, they, they're going to self-select out and they're going to find community at the volleyball court or they're going to find, volley, you know, community at marching band competitions sure. and not the and, church. And because, arguably, maybe they should. Right. Like, I think yeah. arguably maybe they should. I think one of the one of the problems with the church in general right now is that um, we monopolize people's time to the point that mm. they can't have friendships with people who aren't Christians. Right. And so mm. we're like, no, your community needs to happen in small groups because we can track it and it proves that we're doing the right thing. Um, no, your community needs to be found inside the church and inside your team. And, so, and then you have somebody who like they're your star player. Right. But your star player doesn't have a single person in their life who doesn't know Jesus because mm. none of their communities exist outside of your church. Um, and eventually what happens, and this is like the the plateauing of every church plant, right, or a lot of church plants, right, unless they refresh and, um, you know, regain momentum, is that eventually you start with a bunch of people who don't know Jesus or people who have friends who don't know Jesus, and eventually all their friends show up, and then the idea of reaching new people just sort of fades over time, and, you know, everybody doesn't have any friends who don't know Jesus anymore because everyone's in the club. And I, I think that that... Does And so I think the end goal, right, isn't necessarily that everybody needs to find community inside your church. The end goal is that everybody has community. Hmm. Um, and for some people, the best thing that they can have is an accountability partner and a community of people that they're connected with who don't know Jesus. And I, I think you see that a lot in some of like the micro church model. Um, yeah. If you look at like Casey Underground or Tampa Underground, I mean, they're really big on that, right? They don't want yeah. all of your friends to just be people who know Jesus. They want the majority of your friends to be people who actually don't because you're living on mission um, inside of the community that you're in. Um, I, I think there's a lot of conversation. My point is there's a lot of conversation that can go into like, where should the people in your church be finding community? Is important for them to be finding community inside your church? Is that something that you have to provide can you force people into it you force people into a small group that doesn't mean they're actually finding community it just means that they're spending an hour of their week someplace they don't want to be mm -hmm. um and i'm not saying that no one wants to be in your small group some people may want to be in your small groups i'm just saying somebody who doesn't want to find community inside your church and goes to small group just so that they can become a member of your church is not actually finding community inside your church they're just being forced to spend an hour at somebody's house they don't want to be at um, and they'll look for opportunities to not be there. And so for me, I don't think it's about like forcing people into community. It's how, what tools am I using to create spaces where community can happen? And that's not as big of a challenge in a physical church because it just makes sense, right? You open your building on Sunday morning, um, you open your building throughout the week, and there are like physical spaces that people can come and gather. In digital space, that's a little bit more challenging because the uh, the spaces where people 
like connect are not as evident, right? Mm -hmm. They're not as intuitive. Um, You have to be, and a lot of times the tools don't exist to even allow that to happen, right? Um, One of the reasons that I love Discord so much is because it can happen there. It can happen in limited capacities in a live stream chat as well, I think. Um, But is very rare for it to happen over a platform like Instagram, for example, um, where it's not super easy to uh, actually engage with one another in any sort of capacity that's helpful or real. So you mentioned Discord. We talk a lot about kind of ways of opening spaces for community. So in a digital context, then, what are the building blocks of those spaces? You know, in a hybrid church or even in a physical church, you know, we've talked about small groups. We, you know, you do those things, but you can open a classroom and say, "Hey, everybody, this is where the quilting happens." You know, or this is where bridge, cl-, you know, the, those kind of older sure. examples. But that's, or you know, hey, this is where youth group happens. You know, this is where all those things. How do you do that in a digital context? Yeah, I, I think some of this it has to do with containment, and I, um, it's not always easy to liken physical spaces to digital spaces in a way that's like super easy to wrap your mind around, especially if you're unfamiliar with digital space. Mm-hmm. So um, let me let me give you this example for just as, as an idea. Um, the safety that you feel uh, walking through a parking lot at night um, is very different than the feeling that you have when you walk inside your home. Um And a good portion of that is because of the walls, right? You feel contained. Um, The wider the space is, the more we naturally feel cautious um, uh, and uh, maybe anxious um, or we feel unsafe. And so when you walk into a physical building, those walls that kind of go up around you create a sense of safety and protection and oftentimes open up an ability for you to engage. And then it also has to do with the familiarity of the space, right? And so if I walk into a brand new space, let's say I walk into the doctor's office, never been to this doctor's office before. I have all sorts of hesitation, maybe about vulnerability here, right? I I don't really want Mm. to be. Um, But if I walk into your home and I've been in your home a dozen times um, and and we have sort of like, you know, refrigerator level permission in each other's life. I do this with my friends, Jake and Kristen. I can walk into Jake's house and grab a a drink out of the fridge and and not feel any weirdness about that because we have that level of comfort with one another and we've been in their house many times. And so when it comes to digital platforms that allow you to foster community, um, I think that the first thing you look at are what are the tools that are in my hands that allow me to put up walls and basically carve out a digital space out of the proverbial endless digital sea because um, the internet feels a lot like an endless dark parking lot in many ways for people right it's not particularly homey there's nothing comfortable about it you don't feel particularly safe in it and one of the things that made facebook so incredibly powerful at least at the start is it really allowed you to carve out your own personal rooms and then it allowed you to connect your room to anybody else's room that you wanted to right and there was some level of exclusivity to it that allowed that sort of drew people in facebook loses a lot of that now and i think gets a bad rap for that because what have they allowed into your room They've allowed advertisements into your room. They've allowed reels into your room. They've allowed information that you didn't even want to see into your room. And now it doesn't really feel like your house anymore, right? It feels like the doors are unlocked and the windows are open and someone blew down the front wall. And now anybody has permission to walk in. You might have three of the four walls that once made up the house that you were in. But without that fourth wall, it feels substantially less safe. And so it's a lot harder for you to build community. 
then comes in things like Facebook groups, for example, or Facebook pages that begin to feel a little bit more safe, right? Because it's this curated place that has a select group of people and people have to maybe, uh, 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 you know, uh, apply to be able to get access to it. And so there's some level of exclusivity. You feel like you put up walls and there's some sort of boundaries in place. You don't feel like you're wandering around in the parking lot, the digital parking lot of Walmart, whatever. And so I think that when you're looking, you're saying, okay, what tools are actually at my disposal to put up walls, to put on a roof, um, and to put the door where I want the door? <laughs> and, uh, and only let the people through the door that I want to let through the door. Right. And this is going to become progressively more important in the world of artificial intelligence, where the Internet is going to become consumed by more robots than it is real people. And so who you can and cannot let through the door will become progressively more important as AI learns to understand the nature of humans and can imitate them. And so um, I think why I love Discord and why I have searched for another digital platform that can do this for the church is because it gives you all of the tools at your disposal to put the walls wherever in the heck you want them. Hmm. Um, and you can be wide open with it and build a pavilion that anybody can come in. You can build a mansion. You can build a little nice, neat home that only a handful of people have the key to. And so you know who's going to be there. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that that is a, a, a really healthy thing uh, in terms of tools to build digital spaces. And there's just not many platforms that actually, as the creator of the space that you're creating so that people can come in and fight community, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of people that, um, not a lot of places or, or digital tools that give you the power to do that well. Um, I, I realize that all could be a little bit heady, what I just talked about there, but I think it's important and I think it helps bridge some of the gaps between physical mindsets and digital mindsets. Yeah, there's there's two follow up things to that. Number one, the exclusivity thing. If you are listening to this and you're hearing you, you immediately kind of cringe at that word exclusivity uh, and you relate that to the church of the last 2000 years that has kind of tried to shut the doors on a lot of people. That's not what Mark is talking about. What Mark mm-hmm. is talking about is allowing access as needed, allowing safety or ensuring safety, ensuring standard, ensuring protocol. Um, the AI thing is an, an interesting topic, and I think we should probably follow up on that at some point in this show, uh, because I think there's there's a decent amount that AI can do for us in terms of community building, but also there's a heck of a lot more that AI can do to, in destroying community. Uh, the second thing I, I want to bring up, and we are obviously sponsored by um, Alter Live. We are also sponsored by uh, the Church Digital and kind of the Church Digital Podcast Network. And so that's kind of two different things right there. TCD and DCN are exclusively trying to create community amongst church planters, amongst uh, church innovators and church leaders and things like that. And Alter Live is trying to bring about spaces that that can happen, meeting spaces and room Mm. spaces and lobby spaces where all of those things can happen, where, like Mark said, you can control access. You You can shut a door, open a door. You can create the pavilion. You can create the amphitheater if you want with a live stream. You can do all of those things and allow both of those, so the communities that are being created by DCN and and, uh, and and TCD and the platform of Alter Live to kind of inter you know interoperate. If you are a physical church, a hybrid church, or a solely digital church, those are those are real kind of awesome things. Um, the real quick, let's talk about moderation then, because that does become an incredibly important piece of digital community not i mean it does physically in physical community but um one of the most chilling things that that has happened especially at our church here at bay hope is that we have a day school here with hundreds of pre-k and kindergarten kids 
And as of this week, we now have an armed security guard walking around. Mm. Uh, and he like they we have a security team here. Now, he's a nice guy. The team's going to do well. I don't reckon anything is ever going to happen here. Knock on wood. Please, Jesus, don't let that happen. But but that's a way of controlling access. You know, that that's a way of of actual security. It, it is, in, in essence, moderation. Moderation in a physical church is, looks a lot different than moderation in a digital church. What does moderation look like for you when you are building community? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's interesting because because of the anonymous nature of the internet, which is probably one of its best and worst qualities, um, people can seek to do harm in ways that they couldn't necessarily seek to do harm at a physical church, right? Everyone's voice is a lot closer to one another in digital in digital spaces. And so just because I'm the one on the microphone doesn't mean that somebody else can't say something that the entire church can see during a service. Mm. And so uh, in, in your physical church, it's probably not going to happen, right? Like Joe isn't going to show up to your church, and while your pastor's preaching, he's going to jump up and shout, false liar and and then uh and then tear into your pastor or post a bunch of blasphemous stuff or or like um, or like last night when i was preaching and somebody was just like oh so i have to do this then oh so i got to give up tv and internet and movies it's like no no yeah exactly like taking your uh, taking your ideas out of context and then being able to do that in a public forum or you know no one's going to stand up in in the front of your church and uh with a with a 32 inch tv with pornography on it and show it to your whole church whereas in our scenario you know they can potentially do that um inside of our discord server post links and whatever and so moderation really is about preventing harm from people who aren't there for the right reasons just the same as your security guard is right the church i used to work for our 15th year anniversary we had a guy who just was not all there come over the hill uh, to where all of our bounce houses were with his pickup truck the fully automatic weapon in the back of it um, oh. with every intention of shooting children um and you know thankfully we had four armed security volunteers who were there um who went through all the clearances and background checks to be able to cuff the dude hit him as he was coming out of his truck cuffed him and got him in a cop car and got him out of there before most of our oh church even gosh, knew what dude. was going on um and so that is that in digital space just looks way different because the type of harm that people can seek to do is less intense um but more available (laughs) and so um it so in that case it was like the extreme worst case scenario for us and we had the moderation in place to take care of it at lux or in the digital space the moderation uh has to be able to deal with a lot of different things um and sometimes it can even be automated to be able to handle it right and so a lot of our server is moderated by a bot that prevents people from posting inappropriate stuff um and then we have moderators to sort of prevent that because it's just easier from the anonymous point of view with how close our voices are together for people to seek to do harm in different ways Hmm. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I, I, my only other thing in kind of a hybrid thing and uh, a hybrid role, especially if you are the type of church that is live streaming on a Sunday, uh, my advice would be just to watch your chat very, very deeply. Um, you know, it, in creating digital community at Lux, obviously there is the bot there. There's a whole lot of things that are kind of doing things. Sometimes some stuff uh, slips through the goalie, especially in kind of a live stream uh, you know, in a Twitch service. And so you just making sure that you have a trained group of volunteers who a care about your church, B care about you as mm-hmm. a, as a pastor leader, whomever, and C have the right kind of tools at their disposal, be it mod tools, be it band, be it timeout, be it whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that they know how to use those things that they're not going to just wield the band hammer, uh, however they want, which is 
funny to think of, yeah. but we've we've both been part of communities where just flame wars and and ban wars have gone on, and it's just it's out of out of hand. Yeah, I think uh, giving them the proper tools and giving them some training. Our teams have an idea. If you're a moderator, this is what we moderate and what we don't. And it was not easy to figure out at first um, because we did have people who came in with genuine questions that seemed hostile. And your goal mm. isn't to ban people that seem hostile. Um, but, for example, two weeks ago, my wife and I were on camera during a live service. And uh, somebody new came in to chat and, and said something about a sex tape between the two of us. Um, something that's not an uncommon thing to happen, something like that inside of digital space um and one of our moderators quickly timed him out for like a minute and a half and um we had a chance to address it without him posting back really simple way to be able to say hey you're not able to talk for the next minute and a half don't be an idiot we're glad that you're here um and i think like giving your moderators tools to be able to do stuff like that and also the training to know how to handle a situation and don't just ban people on first offense or don't just you know kick people from your service or whatever i think is is a very helpful thing and your team needs trained on how to do that sort of stuff agreed uh we have a couple minutes left uh and in those couple of minutes i want to pick your brain a little bit how do you grow digital community anybody listening to this is going yeah cool we've got tools i can google search all of these things but what do I actually do to grow my 10 or 15 people that are diehards? How do I get that number larger? Not because I want to glorify myself, but because I want to glorify the kingdom. So I think after you have the tools um, like Ultra Live or like a Discord server or like Facebook groups, whatever, it starts with the leader's willingness to live a part of their life there, right? Hmm. Um, or even the majority of your life there. Um, if 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 you're like, well, no, I just have my life, and then I, I create this space where people can come hang out. If you won't hang out there, they're not going to hang out there. Mm. And so I think it starts with the leader. Um, you know, uh, are you actually actively living your life there? But I think this is the case with any startup ministry, and digital space specifically right now is pioneering. It's not digital. Digital space isn't pioneering for the rest of the world. They've been living there for years. Digital space is pioneering for the church, who – I don't know. We think we're getting on a Conestoga wagon and then you, you know, you show up at the gold rush and there's like a, a cyberpunk 2077, 2077 city already in place. Right. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea this was here. Um, and so I think that uh, it starts with that. Um, at, I mean, the tools part is a hard thing to figure out. But if you use the right platform and, and, and you can put up the walls and figure out how to use the tools, you know, do a lot of YouTubing, that sort of stuff. Um, and, then it, and then it really is about you as the leader. Are you actually going to live your life there? And are other people going to live there? Uh, I think platform adoption is a really hard thing to overcome in digital space. People only want to be in so many places online. Um, people only live in so many places online. Believe it or not, our hardest piece at Lux is because we're ministering to digital natives already, right? They're already actively living a large portion, if not most of their life in digital space. The actual challenging part for us is convincing them that they should live in our server and not somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and that goes back to this whole idea of where should people find community, right? I have Ben in my church. Is Ben super active in our Discord all the time? No, he's not. But Ben does play Magic the Gathering in another server three nights a week. Okay. Well, Ben is around people who aren't believers and has the chance to be the image of Jesus to them. So am I better off trying to force Ben to build community over in my, my space because it makes me feel better? Or am I better off with Ben finding a great deal of his community inside of another space where he's actually engaging with non-believers? Um, 
And so, you know, really, I think the question when it comes to community is like, is the goal for people to be have a community or is the goal for people to be in a community in a space that makes you feel good? Hmm. That's good. Um, the the interesting question is, how do you how do you get to that level of trust when you have people in your community that are going forth from into other communities that you, you can't see? How are you building that in? Is that is that a discipleship pathway? Is that a leadership training? What like what's your what's your MO there? I think it's touch points, right? Like I know that about Ben because I've met with Ben. Hmm. I know Ben. I know his story. I think one of the other ways to really generate community um, is, is, is through story. It's through hearing people's stories. Um, it takes a lot of time and intentionality, but having spaces where people can share their story humanizes them, moves them beyond screen names and profile pictures. Um, and I've done a lot of that over the last two years has just been like, hey, after service tonight, I'm going to be in this room. And most of what I do in this room when people stop by the meet the pastor room is I just ask questions and try to get at their story. You know, met with a guy last night um, for the first time at our church. You know, I now know what he does, why he does it, you know, his work, the games that he enjoys. I don't have his full story, but I'm beginning to gain access and permission to hear that. And so hearing people's stories is a really important piece of an introduction to community because once people feel seen and heard, they feel a lot safer in your space and they feel like there's people here who genuinely care for them. And then they're a lot more likely to actually, you know, come into that space and engage in that space. Um, and hear other people's stories as well because they feel like their story's been heard. Mm-hmm.